joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of sin and sad. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. It is so good to be here, and um, I am. Uh, it's been a, a busy weekend for many of you, and I know uh, for young people, we had some golfing, we had some softballing, we had some track, we had all kinds of stuff going on. But it is uh, good to get away from all that for a little bit and to be able to worship our God and to be able to study a little bit about a faith that works. So we've been studying this topic of faith since really the beginning of the year. Uh, Matthew started that, uh, that really train of thought. And last week we kicked off this series of a faith that works. And as Matthew said before that song, looking at how we should, or how not we should, but it's how also we can live out our faith each and every day. And I think we can all agree that when things don't work, it's really aggravating. Uh, when things don't go to plan, it can be frustrating. And uh, a few things I thought of, it's like when you think you've mastered the art of self-control, and then Nathan brings a big cake to the Devo and then you have to eat it. Uh, or maybe um, when you see a big pile of laundry and you say, I'll do that tomorrow. And uh, then a week goes by and you look around and you go, why do I have no clean clothes? Um, maybe it's, for some of you, you'll, you'll relate to this. This is really not a thing as much as it is now with universal remotes, but picking up the wrong remote. I can remember uh, growing up, we would have the TV remote, we would have the, the box remote, and then we had bought this DVD player that had speakers with it that we put up. So then we had the sound remote. And I can remember sitting down on the couch, because as a kid, you couldn't touch the remotes, at least when the parents were in the room, even though I knew how to use the remotes more than anybody else in the house. Uh, my dad would pick up the remote and be like, that's the wrong remote. He goes, I knew that. And uh, or sometimes on the off chance, I picked up the wrong remote, which never happened. You know, you'd go to turn on the TV and you're turning off the, the box or you're turning on the sound and then the sound doesn't work and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Or the one that frustrates me the most are USB drives. It never seems the first time you put it in that it's the right side up. Uh, maybe you've experienced that where you, you go to put it in and it doesn't work, so you flip it and you go to put it in and it doesn't work again. And then you flip it again, and then it goes in. It's like it's never the right way the first time, no matter what you do. Uh, when things don't work the way they should, it's extremely frustrating. Now, spiritually speaking, the good news is God doesn't just leave it up to us to figure out how to live a Christ-filled life by ourselves. The good news is he doesn't say, just figure it out, and maybe when it comes to your faith, you'll learn by yourself. Oh, I'm so thankful he gave us his word. I'm so thankful he gave us the Bible. He gave us Jesus even to say, this is how you should act. And the whole book of James deals with faith. Almost stepped off there. The whole book of James is about how to live out our faith. And the first thing, so here we are in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. 
And it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I would say if we want to have a, a faith that works, but not just, but beyond that, a faith that's full of action, the first step here is, see, yeah, it is big enough, good, to listen more and then to speak and get angry less. If you look back at this verse right here, he, he first off, he starts off by saying, let everyone know this, be quick to hear. I've heard the little corny illustration, God gave you two ears and one mouth, and uh, I get that, but, uh, but here he's, you know, James is reminding us a good first step in becoming someone that has a strong faith, in becoming someone that is like Jesus, is you have to listen. Uh, Jesus listens to others, uh, but even more importantly than that, Jesus listened to the Father. When Jesus came down to earth, he often kept pointing to, G to God, saying, I'm here to do the will of my Father. He didn't say, hey, I'm here to do my will. I'm here to get all the credit. He, he listened to what God had said, this is your purpose when you come to earth. When you go and spend and become man, you go into bodily form, and you're going to dwell with them, it's not going to be easy, but you're going to do things my way. And Jesus submitted himself and listened and did things God's way. The foundation is hearing, but really it's not just hearing, but it's also being receptive. Uh, I think we can all relate whether you're an adult and you have children, or you're an adult and you're uh, over somebody at work, or you're a teacher and you have children in your class, or let's if you can remember when you were a child and, and want to admit what actually happened, we can all remember times when either ourselves or others just, they're, they're listening, but they're not listening. Uh, they're, they're hearing, but they're not really receiving the message. Uh, when I was a child and um, I would be uh, in the house and I would be wanting to go do something and my mom or dad would grab me and, or would stop me and say, hey, Jonathan, I need you to do, and they would start talking and I would hear them, but I wouldn't really hear words. I just kind of like that cartoon character, the wah, 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 you know, teacher. I just heard sounds, and then I said, okay, yes, ma'am, and I would go back to what I wanted to do, and she would stop me. I don't know how she always knew, and she would say, what did I just say? I'm like, I have no clue, and she was like, well, why'd you say yes, ma'am? Well, because I'm supposed to say yes, ma'am, and uh, I had no clue what I was supposed to do, and which then started the written down list of chores because they knew that I wouldn't listen. And uh, maybe you're a teacher, that happens in school, uh, which is why, again, I love things that are written down because they're good, at least for me, to look back on. But again, we have God's word. He wrote it down for us. He had it written down for us to say, this is what I expect. But listening is, again, more than just hearing those words, is being receptive and saying, I'm going to go do those. And we'll get to that in just a second. But then notice he starts then by saying this anger stuff and then this, um, this speaking thing. So when you look at the quick to hear and slow to anger, sorry, slow to speak, I'm getting ahead of myself, quick to hear and slow to speak, uh, I looked in some of my notes from college and this big fancy word came up which was like 
antithetical parallelism or something like that. I was like, I don't know what that means. But I, basically, when I looked at it, it was these two things are opposites, but they're also parallels. He's saying, you know, we have listening and speaking. We have one fast, one slow. They're going in the you know, kind of same opposite directions, but they're related to each other. And James is saying, not only do you have to listen real carefully, but then you, you don't speak too quickly. Don't be too quick to start answering things or think that you have all the, the things figured out. Don't be too quick. Also, sometimes when we listen, again, we're kind of hearing the person speak, but we're so busy thinking how to respond that we miss what they're saying because we just care about what I have to say. And when we read the text and we're reading the Bible, sometimes we read it on the defense as saying, well, here's what God expects. Well, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. And we're not really allowing the word to enrich our lives and to change us, to prick our hearts, because we're too busy trying to figure out how to respond rather than allowing it to affect how we live. And then it almost seems when, I, when, it, when it has this hearing and speaking, the anger almost seems out of place, like he's dealing with a specific issue, but it's really not. Because we have this listening and speaking, but ultimately what's he getting at at the very end of this verse? He says, producing the righteousness of God. If we're too quick to speak, we're not really being like God because we're trying to, to you know, make it all about ourselves. If we're not listening, we're not allowing him to, to tell us how to live and how to act and how to, to follow him and how to please him. Then this anger thing. He says, if you get angry and you're all quick to get angry, he goes, it's not beneficial. In fact, if we get angry, it's not helpful for us in how we live and how we be like Jesus, but it's also not helpful in taking the message to others if we're known as an angry person. If we're known as someone who won't listen, then it's not helpful in how we evangelize. If, they are, if we're so quick to, to speak and we talk too much, uh, it's not helpful in how we evangelize. Ultimately, he says, let God be God and allow the word to speak for itself. And then we're supposed to live our lives according to that word, but we're also supposed to teach according to that word. So that's step one. Step one is to listen more and to speak and get angry less. These seems almost juvenile, but they're really not. Then we have this next verse in, verse, um, in 1 verse 21, when James says, Now therefore, because of all of this, because you're supposed to, to listen more and speak less and get angry less, he says, Now put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Again, God didn't just leave it up to us to figure it out. As if some of you may have seen our, our little promotional video during the week, God's given us everything we need to be faithful. And, uh, and this one right here, he says, but here's your part. In order to receive my blessings and receive my instructions, you got to put away the filth. you got to put away the stuff that doesn't matter. Put away the stuff that hinders you from being like Jesus. He mentions, we back up, this filthiness, then rampant wickedness. There's all sorts of things in our lives, or I should say in the world that we're around, that we could describe as filth and rampant wickedness. In fact, some things the guy calls, the, uh, calls filthy and, and wicked are almost things that are normal in our culture. Gossip, going back, anger, uh, envy. You have all these common struggles, but also the other ones. You have 
you know, moral and, 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 and other issues that uh, may not be appropriate in, in a mixed audience to, to go into. But he says, you need to put away all that filth. You need to put away the rampant wickedness and receive what? The implanted word. It's about putting that into our faith. So once we've put away that filth, then we can do what James starts talking about in verse 22. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I think we have one more slide. Uh-oh. Maybe. There it goes. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows and keep, sorry, in affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So as we look at this, the way I summarize this and the, the words that come to mind here is just do it. And uh, in that video earlier in the week, uh, I thought of the Nike, you know, not slogan or motto or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it, it started really in the late 1980s where Nike was trying to figure out how to, and it's really became their, not just their little motto at the end of all their commercials, but it's how they operate their business and how they, they really market everything. And they're basically saying, what, if you use our products, you have it all covered, you just have to go out and do it. You know, if you use our shoes, just go out and race, because we, we got your shoes covered. We have your performance covered that way. If you, do, if you wear our, you know, running clothes, all you have to do is go out and run. So they're saying, we'll take care of all of this, you just have to go off and, and do the work. You have to go off and just perform. Here, when we back up, you're seeing James in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. We talked about God giving us his word and saying, this is what I expect. This is how I want you to please me. This is how I want you to be like Jesus. We receive what? With meekness, the implanted word, which can save our souls. Now go do it. He says, it's not, don't just listen. Don't just hear the words, but then go off and do them. And he adds this, he goes, but deceiving yourselves. He says, don't fool yourselves. If you think you can just hear and that's enough, you're fooling yourself. You're, you're kidding yourself. You're lying to yourself. If you think you don't have to go and practice all these things, you've got it all backwards. And he gives this absurd analogy. And I've, and I've used this in lessons before. And uh, this verse where he's, he's using this, this guy who's almost getting ready, it seems, who's looking at himself in the mirror and he sees things that might need to be fixed. Right? When you get up in the morning, you're like, okay, I need to brush my hair, or oh, there's a, I have a smudge on my face. Where did that come from? I don't know. The, the kid. I don't know. And you, we got to wash my face. But if I look at myself in the mirror and then I turn away and I forget what I look like, which sometimes would be nice, um, he says that, that no one does that. And so James is using this absurd analogy that no one would do to make the point that just hearing and not doing is just as absurd. It says, if you're not going to put these into practice, that's absurd. 
If you're not going to do what God has asked us to do, it makes no sense. And then he goes on to say, and if you, in the bottom of verse 25, he says, when you do this, and you're just not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He says, God will take care of you. Now, maybe in this life you might still have some sufferings, but ultimately, how will we be blessed? We'll have eternity with him one day. There's no greater blessing than spending everlasting life with him. And then it seems almost he switches gears, but it's still all-encompassing of putting our faith into works. And this is one of the things he says of how to do that. And it's one of those just do it moments when he says, now, if you think you're religious and you don't do this, then you're, then you're foolish and you don't, you don't have, you know, you're not right. But then this verse 27, he, he mentions taking care of widows and taking care of orphans. And you're almost like, James, where did that come from? <laughs> that seems almost out of place in the sense, uh, unless it's just, is this just an analogy? Is it just an example? And what I've come up with seems to be orphans and widows, especially in their culture, were often ignored. Uh, orphans and widows had no voice in the community, had really no voice in the church. Widows, you know, and if, if they weren't married by the, you know, the family members under the, the, the culture that were supposed to take care of them, or if they had no family, then they really were kind of isolated Orphans had no parents to speak for them, and kids, again, really had no rights. So it seems to me James is saying not only are you, one of the ways you can put your faith into practice is to give a voice to those without a voice. Uh, for those who, who, don't, who can't speak for themselves, those who might be um, you know, oppressed, those who might be, have less than you in the socioeconomic status, he goes, you need to just give them a voice. You need to serve them. If you look at Jesus' life, he often went to those very people, and he was criticized for it. This man eats with tax collectors and sinners. That man, oh, he, he was talking to that Samaritan woman at the well. He was doing this. He was doing that. This is awful. And James says, hmm, maybe not so much. Maybe it is about loving and serving everyone, even those who might be different, even those who have no voice. And then that's when he gets into this chapter 2, which again, it's a man-made division, but so closely related when he says, so show no favoritism. So is this because they have no voice and they don't seem to really be much of, quote, use, right? In the socioeconomic world, he says, show no favoritism. You're supposed to serve and love everyone, now let's jump down to later in chapter 2, starting in verse 14. So as he's covering all these things, we're talking about we have to get, you know, we have to, let's go back to the top, we have to listen more, speak and get angry less, get rid of filth, and then just start doing things, start practicing these things. And then this is when it really starts to all come together. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Maybe And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I almost done a promise. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That was a long reading, but really necessary for us to hit all these points. Because really, this, this last point, this last step, to having a faith that works, having an act of faith, is remember that faith without works is meaningless. And he starts giving all these examples. So we just went through, you, he kept saying, here's ways to act. Remove filth, listen, receive the word, serve those without a voice, show no partiality. Now he's saying, you have to do something. You can't just sit idly by saying, I have faith, I believe. This be warmed and filled, to me, almost points back to having a pure and undefiled religion. Because he just said, we have widows, you have orphans that need to be taken care of. Show no favoritism to those who have wealth and those who don't have wealth. Then he goes down and says, it's not enough to tell those who are in need, I hope you figure it out. Be warmed and be filled. I had a, a minister friend of mine and uh, I wish it was my story so I could tell it a little bit better. But uh, he, um, he's a minister, and his dad was also a minister. Uh, I guess it's in their family. And he said he can remember a time as a child where his dad was filling the baptistry up and, uh, and doing some stuff on, uh, during one of the days or on the weekend or, or whatever it was. And he said, and it's one of those big baptistries, and we have a fast fill that's really wonderful. But most baptistries with just a little a nozzle, that takes uh, quite a while to fill up. And uh, so they went outside to, to throw the ball and uh, spend some time with, with, you know, father and son, and he forgot about the baptistry. And uh, when they finally remembered, he went back in and had overflown. It was flooding the stage. It was flooding the auditorium. And, of course, uh, as you can imagine, uh, panic ensued. Uh, I would be pretty freaked out if I flooded the church. I'm just going to say that right now. So the guy called the other minister and said, I've made a mistake. I need some help. I flooded the baptistry. And the other minister went, be warm to be filled, and hung up on the guy. I mean, uh, it's kind of a, a terrible story. Now, I don't know if the guy actually came back or was kidding, but did that help him at all? Well, of course not. And as, as infuriating as that might actually sound, uh, it, to God, when we look at others and say, oh, I hope you figure it out, and, uh, and we don't do anything about it, it's pretty infuriating. And it's pretty useless and meaningless. And it's really, again, it's not enough to just say good things. Just as he went on to say, it's not enough to just believe. He used this example. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. I'm saying, well, what do you mean the demons believe? Well, all th if you look through Jesus' life in the Gospels, when he's casting out demons, they recognize him. 
And some of one of them even called out to Jesus as, hey, I know who you are. And Jesus would speak to these demons. He would cast them out. And they would listen because, well, he's Jesus. But they, did they do any more than that? He could command them because of being deity. But did their belief do anything for them other than make them terrified of him? And that's why James says they shuddered. Well, I think we all know the answer is no. In fact, why did their belief not help them at all? It's because they didn't live their life in subjection to him. They said, we know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know who he is. We know he's deity. We just don't care. Or we just want to live life our way. Or what he asks is just too much. They didn't live a life in subjection to him. Parallel that to Abraham and Rahab. It says, were they not more than just belief? Abraham, he even went so far as to almost sacrifice his son. Rahab, who was the enemy, who was on the city wall, you know, and he said, hey, you're going to what? Hide the spies? And then lie to these, really, this army, these, these, uh, this, this armed forces that came demanding, hey, we heard the spies went in here, and um, we want to know where they went. And she was hiding them and lied to save because she said, hey, I know who you serve. You serve the living God, and I know he's going to win, and I want to be that part, later becoming part of the genealogy of Jesus. They live their lives in subjection to him. Because, again, it's not just about belief, but us putting our faith into action. So the question remains, are you living a life in subjection to him? Do your actions reflect Jesus? Because this whole book of James is all about a faith that acts. It's all about a faith that works. If this morning you're struggling with that, you're struggling with listening more, maybe you're struggling with speaking or, or angry, getting angry a lot, maybe it's, it's hard to put away all the filth. You put away some filth, but not all the filth. Or maybe you're not just doing it. You're not just practicing a life so that you can live a life that's in subjection to him. That includes, if you're not a child of God just yet, he's told us how to become a Christian by being baptized, by being buried in the waters of baptism, to contact the blood of Jesus, to be raised in newness of life, to then say, I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm going to live every day as a self-sacrifice to Jesus so I can become like Jesus. Maybe you've done that, but now it's continuing to do that each day is hard. And you need to some encouragement. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.